His is indeed the kingdom and the power and the glory, and therein, brethren, lies our hope. And it is a sure hope, a steadfast hope, one that will not fail. Would you turn in your copy of God's Word, please, to Romans chapter 2. Epistle to the Romans chapter 2. This morning, we're going to be looking to finish up our exposition of Romans 2, the last uh, five verses or so. And as we do so, I just want to remind you again that you know the Apostle Paul is going to be speaking to the, the people of God there in Rome, Jews and Gentiles, and by extension to us in the Spirit, um, about the urgency of being true, about uh, having a circumcision and a and uh, that goes beyond just the outward, about having an inward righteousness that is beyond mere externals about seeking our praise in God fundamentally and not from men. So brethren, with that thought in mind, please stand for the hearing of God's word. Romans 2, verses 25 to 29. Hear the word of the Lord. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, Circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. As far as the reading of God's word, may he take it and make it fruitful in our lives. You may be seated, brethren. Brethren, I don't need to tell you, but we are living in a day more than ever probably that I have ever seen, honestly, probably more than ever in the history of this country, certainly, where um, where marital infidelity, various forms, whether it be adultery, pornography, and then just open divorce, or, or you know, these days, even just uh, largely an avoidance of marriage, uh, engaging in all kinds of uh, sexual uh, practice and, and perversion outside of marriage, uh, just not even worrying about the covenant obligations anymore. This has just become normative in our country. As we have become a country of people that increasingly more and more do not fear the living God, do not reverence him, so too uh, we have witnessed that making, establishing, and keeping covenants, not only with God, but even with other people, has become something increasingly passe. It's increasingly rare. You take fear of God and the reverence of the living God and his word out of the equation, people uh, just become, as we read back in Romans 1, he gives them over to their uh, debased mind, to debauchery, to worship the creature rather than the creator. They become increasingly absorbed in self-centeredness, self-centered living, and become, as a result of that, unfaithful. Even as they are unfaithful to God and unbelieving, they become unfaithful one to another. Right? The horizontal is a direct reflection of the vertical. 
where there's faithfulness to God and trust in the living God, there will be faithfulness in relationships with other, other people. Correspondingly, where there is unfaithfulness and unbelief toward God, the breakdown horizontally will inevitably follow. That's why, you know, we are told in Scripture, and I know this is uh, the, the, the prophets throughout the Old Testament, um, the, the Pentateuch as well as in the, the prophets, there's this repeated call we see with regard to God's people and the covenant with God, the repeated call to circumcise your hearts. And we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 10 earlier in our Old Testament reading, Right? That the call for them, this is the, what does he require of you, O Israel? To love the Lord your God, to follow him with a true heart and faith. And he says, circumcise your hearts, be stiff-necked no longer. Remove your fleshliness and your fleshly uh, orientation and, and, and be spiritual. And, and the promise that we see is throughout the, the Old Testament, we, and when you get to the end of Deuteronomy 30 in Moses' song, uh, his prophetic song, he actually predicts there very clearly that the children of Israel, because they are fleshly, because they don't hear, because hearing they do not hear, that they will, in fact, they will, in fact, receive the curses of the covenant because their hearts are not circumcised, because they're not hearing God and responding in faith, and God will give them over and scatter them to the nations. But then he says that there in that Psalm in chapter 30, um, specifically uh, in verse 6, he says that the Lord is going to regather them in in the last days and that what will happen is he himself will circumcise their hearts so that the outward circumcision that they have, the sign of the covenant God gave to Abraham and his children, that gospel covenant forever, that now that the, the intent, the substance of the sign would be brought to pass in them and that not just outward circumcision but a circumcised heart where that flesh has been removed and replaced by a heart that is spiritual, that loves God in truth. God would do that. Jeremiah prophesied in the New Covenant, in Jeremiah 31, that the day would come in which the Lord would circumcise their hearts, and he would write his law, not just on tablets of stone, but he would inscribe it on their hearts and give them a new heart for, to love the Lord their God and to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of the law in truth, not in pretense. To use Jesus' words in Matthew 23, that they would be no longer a people who were just concerned about the outside of the cup and, and with being fine with corruption on the inside, but they would become a people that had righteousness within from the Spirit because it was Christ the righteous one in them. So, brethren, this is, this is a problem as old as, as old as man is all the way back to the beginning of God's covenant of grace with his people. We, by nature, we tend toward hypocrisy. We tend to esteem shadows over substance. We tend to esteem signs of the covenant membership over real covenant relationship. We tend to rest in possession of God's oracles and law rather than in true trusting and obeying and knowing God through His Word. Right? This is a problem we all are, are bent towards by, by nature. But the urgency of this passage is simply this. What we need to see is this, is that because eternal life is found in knowing and abiding in the living God, in a gracious covenant relationship with God, and because the covenant of grace has both visible and outward signs, but that those signs point to and seal participation in the covenant and the relationship of the covenant, because of those things, we must embrace the full reality of covenant membership and relationship with God that is signified by the covenant signs and seals, whether circumcision or baptism. 
Brethren, we must get beyond in faith just what is seen on the outward and get to the place of not only circumcision but circumcised hearts, not only baptism in the flesh, but pure washed hearts that are pure and clean before the Lord and walking with him in faith and purity. That's the point. To put it Jesus' way, in John 3, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And we must believe that God is and is a rewarder of those who seek him. We must have a new heart. And we trust God to give it to us in faith, but we must have it. So I just want us to look at some principles and then at a few direct applications. Let's just start, kind of focus on verse 25 to 27. I'm going to just go through a couple principles here, a few principles that Paul lays out. Number one, this is the key, is that the ultimate sign of membership in God's covenant of grace is keeping and fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, what Paul calls in Romans 1, 5, 16, 26, he calls it the obedience of faith by the Spirit. Okay, not the letter, but in the Spirit. That's what Romans chapter 8 and all that is about, is about the urgency of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, working in us inwardly to will and to do and to hunger and thirst to do God's will from a true heart. The obedience of faith. That is the ultimate sign of membership in God's covenant of grace is the kind of heart and life that is bent and oriented towards seeking to do what pleases God according what Paul calls the righteous requirements of the law. And here's a few implications there. Number one, Paul says here that covenant signs, seals, in this case circumcision, you know, they do profit. Now notice this. He says in verse, in verse 25, circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Right? So there's the first thing. Covenant signs, seals, they do profit if the one who receives them keeps the law by faith. Not in the sense of, as it were, by works. Keeping the law keeps the terms of God's covenant of grace by faith. Right? Not by works. The works in themselves are the result and the fruit of faith, but they're not the reason and the means, of the, the basis of salvation. They trust in the Lord like Abraham did, show themselves to be true children of Abraham, daughters of Sarah, who have faith and it is accounted to them for righteousness. And because they are believe in God's promises, because they are looking to the gospel promises given to Abraham to be his God and to be the God to them and their children afterwards and to bless them and the nations by faith and that seed who was to come, even Jesus, because they are like Abraham, they do what Abraham did and they seek to walk in faith. They seek to trust in the Lord. They follow Him. And when they sin, they repent and make an altar and come back and confess and get right with the Lord. That's by faith. They keep the covenant by faith, the obedience of faith, Paul calls it. And so for Abraham, his circumcision in the flesh was coupled to a circumcised heart. It was coupled to true faith in God and seeking to please God according to his word. And therefore, his physical circumcision actually was a great blessing to him. It pointed to and was a permanent reminder of the reality of the covenant that God had established with him and his children, his posterity, to bless them. The physical sign had substance and meaning, though, because it was tied to what the sign pointed to, which was a circumcised heart. Do you see that? 
It was a great blessing. Paul's going to go on in the next chapter. I want to get ahead, but he's going to ask the question at the beginning of chapter 3. He's going to say, what advantage has the Jew? What is the benefit of circumcision? And our, our inclination sometimes is to say, well, it's just outward and visible. It has no benefit whatsoever. What only counts is the inward, but that's not what Paul says. The beginning of chapter 3, he's going to say, what advantage has the Jew? What is the benefit of circumcision? He's going to say, much in every way. Because chiefly to them was given the oracles of God. They received the very written word of testimony, unlike the Gentiles who had it in conscience. And as we see earlier, they had it in creation, written on their hearts. But the Jews, they had the, the very words of God. It was in them. Every, every Sabbath they heard it. They heard it read and, and taught. What a blessing. Much in every way. God had drawn near to them and brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, unlike any nation before, to be their God. And had set them apart much in every way, but only to the degree that that circumcision, that covenant sign in the flesh was coupled with true faith from a new heart to trust in God. That's the key. It is a great blessing. The sign of the covenant was a door and a seal to covenant obedience. I remind you that, brethren, covenants by their very nature, all covenants but covenants include both promises made as well as obligations and oaths right, taken. When somebody enters into a marriage covenant, you know, there is a visible sign of that covenant, a constant perpetual reminder of a covenant that has been made. It's just metal. At one level, we say it's just metal, but it actually is more than just metal because it's tied to a real reality a covenantal reality underlying it. And there are promises to be faithful and oaths taken. I will be faithful, so help me God. An implication being if I'm not faithful, may the Lord judge me because I'm not, not being faithful to a marriage covenant. I'm not being faithful to this covenant either. And so there's oaths, there's blessings promised for obedience in faith, and there's cursings and judgment for where there's disobedience and rejection of faith and unfaithfulness, brethren. That's how covenants work. And so the covenant sign is always tied to the implied obedience to the terms of the covenant, being faithful, right? If a man is tempted to be unfaithful to his wife, this covenant sign should remind him before he does it, say, I'm a, I'm a married man. I've made promises to God and my wife. And because of that ring, so help me, God, that I would be unfaithful. May this be a permanent Reminder, brethren, so too, whether circumcision in the Old Covenant or for you and I, baptism in the New. Brethren, that we are washed. You are in Christ and He in you. And it's not just an outward sign. Meh. It means something substantive. Okay, that's the idea. Circumcision is not a substitute for the obedience of faith. Rather, circumcision constitute rather a solemn commitment to the obedience of faith, to keeping covenant by faith. The sign was the door and seal to covenant obedience and covenant blessings according to God's law, the terms of the covenant of law that God had given. And that includes repentance when we have sinned, right? It includes looking to Jesus, the coming lamb sacrificed for us, our great high priest, it's all part of, of walking in the righteousness of God's law, doing what is pleasing in Him by faith, like we read in Deuteronomy 10 earlier. The Bible says sacraments are holy signs and seals. I mean, sorry, this is Westminster Confession, chapter 23, 1. Sacraments, including baptism, 
circumcision and the old covenant, are holy signs and seals of a covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits to us and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong under the church and the rest of the world and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Brethren, that's the implication of your baptism. Your circumcision of the heart that Jesus gave you is that you are his and to confirm your interest in him, to put a difference between you and to, and to, and to represent Jesus and all of his benefits to keep constantly day by day calling you to obedience and faith and blessing in covenant relationship with the living God. That's the point of your baptism, brethren. Now Paul goes on, and he also says that covenant signs, seals, profit nothing if the recipients are breakers of the law. Look at 25b. If they continue to break the law in unrepentance and they walk in unbelief, the result will be that them being counted as covenant outsiders, as covenant breakers. That's what he says in verse 25b. To the Jew, this would have been shocking. If you are a breaker of the law, that doesn't mean if you've ever sinned one time. The idea is uh, this is a person who does not walk in faith toward God, right? They walk in a pattern of sin. They don't practice righteousness. They don't practice according to faith. They don't seek the Lord. He says that if this is true of you, your physical circumcision, though you may be circumcised, if you walk in unbelief and you don't trust in the living God with all your heart from a new heart, he says the result will be that you will be counted as if you were an outsider, as if you were a a Gentile, outside of God's covenant, right? That's exactly what he says. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And again, you think to the Jews, that would have been shocking. You're telling me that if if I don't seek the Lord by true faith, that my circumcision actually becomes uncircumcision in the sight of God? And he's saying that's exactly true. That's exactly right. It will testify against you. Circumcision minus obedience in sincere faith equals uncircumcision. And uncircumcision biblically equals being cut off, literally, being cursed by God, being outside the camp, outside of God's blessing. Brethren, the ultimate sign and evidence of being in a state of blessing with God instead of a state of cursing, being in a state of grace instead of a place of judgment, is not circumcision nor mere possession of the law and the oracles of God, but it's the obedience of faith, as Paul's been calling it, that both circumcision and the law push us toward and call for, to follow the Lord truly, to love the Lord your God, walk humbly with your God. These Jews' circumcision in their flesh didn't make them what their unbelieving disobedience proved that they weren't. The fact is they were still of the flesh, Born only of the flesh. Remember Jesus says, that which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. They were governed by and walking in their flesh. They were not born of the spirit, walking in the spirit. Not evidencing a circumcised heart and sincere desire for inward righteousness and spiritual fruit. So it didn't matter what they had in their flesh outwardly. Their lives testified against them that they were covenant breakers. Paul goes on and he says in verse 26 that covenant outsiders who keep the righteous requirements of the law by faith are counted as covenant members and insiders. Notice what he says in verse 26. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man, a Gentile, keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And again, he's not saying that Gentiles keep it perfectly, but he's saying, look, look at, 
to these Jewish believers saying, look at the Gentile Christians. They are not circumcised in their flesh, and yet they have received the Spirit just as you do. And your Gentile brethren, from a sincere faith in God, are striving to do what pleases God through faith. Now, the Gentiles didn't keep the letter of Torah in the sense that they weren't circumcised, right? And the letter of Torah, the letter of the law required circumcision. But Paul specifically here, he speaks of the righteous requirements of the law. And we're going to see that this shows up later in Romans. The idea is the essence and the spirit. They kept the essence of the law, what God required at its heart. And God was pleased with them by faith. And will not their, their uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Yes, it will. God sees them as, as circumcised with the circumcision that counts. And then look at verse 27. He goes on and he says, that, or verse 26, and he says, These covenant outsiders who keep the righteousness of the law are going to be counted as covenant members. And he says that they will actually, in verse 27, they will judge those who having the word of God, having the law, nevertheless are transgressors and walk in unbelief. The Gentiles will actually sit in judgment over you Jews who reject faith and, and obedience to God even though you have the word of God. Brethren, is that not true? of us all the more as Christians. We have God's covenant. We have the word of God. Brethren, if we reject faith and trust in God and striving to do what pleases to him in faith, will not those in our midst, you know, the Gentiles, as it were, who come in, who, come in, who have not had these benefits, will they not judge us all the more and rightly? Brethren, do not neglect the word of God. Trust in the Lord and hold fast to him and his ways in unbelief, in, in belief. Let the word of God live in you and love the word of God and ask the Lord to use it to shape you. The true essence of being God's chosen people and members of his covenant is, Paul says, an inward praise, an inward grace. He says here, it's an inward praise to God. Verse 20, the last verse here, he says, whose praise is not from men but from God. You want to know what a true Jew looks like, a true Christian uh, it's that their praise is to from God and that their heart is circumcised in and by the Spirit. It's not all about outward identification only. That's what he says in verse 28 and 29, right? Not all Jews are Jews, to put it another way. Or to quote Romans chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, Not all Israel is Israel. This is important. Brethren, you know, turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 real quick if you would. Paul says it here also. This is vitally important about the necessity of, of, of being born again. Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You see what he's saying? The true Israel of God upon whom peace and mercy rest are those, he says here, for whom circumcision and uncircumcision in the flesh is not the thing, but that they are a new creation in Christ and that their boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ and that their world has been crucified to them and them to the world. Brethren, that's what a true Jew does. It's a true Israelite indeed. So, brethren, as we look at these things then, I want to impress upon you the urgency of this. The essence of being a true Jew 
a true covenant keeper and under God's blessing, including the uncircumcised Gentiles, is actually inward and invisible, not outward and visible. True circumcision is a matter of the heart, not of the flesh. The circumcision that counts. And that circumcision is affected by the spirit, not by the law. Brethren, the law, you can read it and study it over and over, but it will not change your heart. It is the spirit of the living God and being born of the spirit that gives us the new heart that loves the law of God. That can say like David in Psalm, Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation day and night. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's pure and is clean. Brethren, those are the words of a heart that has been born again. And it, it's this, this person seeks and wins the approval of God by faith rather than worrying about the approval of men. So let's just conclude them with some key applications. Number one, here's, here's, we're going to take the doctrine and press it into application. Number one, brethren, don't trust, don't trust in your lineage or in covenant signs, seals, what Paul calls elsewhere in Romans the works of the law. Don't trust in the works of the law or, or these signs and seals of baptism alone as the basis of your assurance of God's favor and blessing. Children, adults, you who have been baptized into the covenant in the name of Jesus, you who come week by week and we partake of the Lord's table, what a blessing it is. What a blessing it is to eat at the Lord's table and to see the reminder of his new covenant signed and sealed to us week in, week out. But brethren, I exhort you as your pastor and as a brother who loves you and cares for your soul as Jesus does, do not rest merely in the fact that I come to the Lord's table or rest in the fact that I have a baptism and I have a baptismal certificate on my wall to prove it. Rest in what those things point to. Always children, always adults, say, Lord God, what I am seeking and walking is that you would give me a pure heart, that I would be washed in my conscience with a clean and pure conscience abiding in Christ by sincere faith. And that, in my, and that I would rest in the spiritual circumcision, right? Where uh, uh, saying, Lord, cut off the flesh of my heart. I don't want to walk in the flesh and the works of the flesh, but Lord, by faith that I would walk in the spirit and bear good spiritual fruit. By faith, trusting in Jesus. Brethren, that's the implications and that is evidence. That is a result of being circumcised in the heart, of being born again. Brethren, the just will live by faith, not by their baptism. And by faith, they will see what their baptism indicates, and they will receive it and believe it and obey and walk in that faith, just like a, a, a faithful man, a faithful husband, will see the sign on his finger and will say, I will not, by God's grace, God help me not be unfaithful to the covenant, because this is a reminder that I've got promises and oaths, and I've got blessing promise for obedience and faith. Number two. Do, whereas I don't want you to trust in your lineage or, your, or the baptism in the signs and seals of the covenant alone as your basis of assurance of God's blessing. Conversely, I do want you to trust. The Lord wants you to trust in the Lord himself to cut away the flesh from your heart and to give you the new and pure heart and true faith by the power of the Spirit. Brethren, what true Jews do is they, like Abraham, they always are looking to that seed who was coming. They're always looking to Jesus Christ as all their righteousness, right? 
Jesus is the righteousness given to me freely apart from works received by faith. And he covers the guilt of my sin. And Jesus, if I'm going to have any hope of walking in righteousness and doing what is right from the heart that pleases God, it's going to be not because I can muster up enough faith on my own to pull myself up by my bootstraps, try again harder. It's going to be by Jesus himself, the righteous one, working in me to will and to do. So, brethren, the call for you then is look to Jesus, the righteous one, in you and united to you and say, Lord Jesus, this day and every day, Lord Jesus, work in me by your spirit. Help me to abide in you, to draw from you. And Lord Jesus, would you live in and through me so that what comes out of me is right and good and it is a faith, it is good fruit, like we talked about last week, as I abide in the vine of Christ. Brethren, that's the call, is to look to Jesus, right? Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's the hope of your salvation. So keep looking to Jesus day by day. Pray, Lord Jesus, my vine, I'm a branch in the vine of Christ, and I want to bear good fruit by faith, drawing on the word and the spirit. So, Lord, today, as I abide in Jesus and your word in me, would you cause me to begin to bear better and good fruit by faith? Brethren, that's what true Jews That is what true Israelites indeed do because we love and trust in the Lord. So seek to know and grow in abiding in Christ. Seek to know more and more God's will through the word of God. Maybe you've gotten to a place where you say, Brother Steve, I do my daily devotions, but they're kind of dry and stale. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to have a living encounter with you today in the word. So with the Holy Spirit, would you please meet me today as I meditate on your word? And would you cause me to see and to meditate and to think? And would you cause it to bear, to do its good work in me and help me to believe and trust in you and abide in you? He will help you, brethren. I assure you, the Holy Spirit of God, when you seek him and you study the word and you hear it, he will take it and make it a living thing for you and not a dead thing because he inspired it. So, brethren, lastly then, I'm going to close with this. Remember that the covenant sign that you have received points to the reality and the requirements of a real covenant relationship that you're in with God. Remember that. Your baptism in the Lord into his covenant is not just outward, but you who are in the Lord, you've received a baptism in the spirit, a baptism with fire, the Bible calls it, and you have received the spirit of the Lord. He is your God. And you are his. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. I'm going to tell you this. In God's covenant, he says, I will be a God to you and your children and children's children after you. The reason we baptize our children is because we believe those gospel promises of God that he will. And to a certain degree for all of us, there is a level, especially for you children who were baptized young, in which you may say, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't make the choice to choose God. You're right. He chose you first. But brothers, sisters, no matter how old and young, the call for you is to walk in faith. Believe him like Abraham and Sarah did, like the saints of old did. Go read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, how they trusted in the Lord, sought the city which is to come. They walked in righteousness now, followed the Lord and overcame all kinds of difficulties and trials, following Jesus faithfully. Brothers and sisters, Be people of faith and ask the Lord, increase my faith. 
Baptism is more than water. It's a sign of a covenant reality that demands faith, but it's a faith which God is more than willing to give and sustain in you if you ask him. Lord, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to believe in you and trust in you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So that my baptism will be a blessing to me. Just like a wedding ring is to a a man or a woman who keeps their covenant vows. What a blessing it is to have that visible sign. And we close, just remind you, brethren, avoid two dangers. One, obviously, as we've spoken a lot here today about avoiding nominalism. Now, nominalism just means just trusting in the outward sign. Don't do that. Trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in your baptism. Trust in Jesus, the one who washes you. But I also want to say for the rest of us, we also tend towards another danger, not nominalism, but a cynicism towards others. Here's what I mean by that. We tend to look at one another, and our little pharisaical hearts, oftentimes, we will tend to look at one another and say, you know what, the Bible says, you know, on the light of everything it says, that they, you will practice righteousness, and you're going to have a zeal and earnestness for the things of the Lord. And so we look at others, and our eye, instead of focusing fundamentally on our own sins, we tend to look at others, and we say, you know what, I saw, you know, how my child today, they didn't, they, they sinned and they, they didn't repent just like that. And boy, their heart seems kind of hard right now. Or, or I got this brother or sister, maybe they're struggling with this or sin. It's like, boy, I don't know. Could true Christians struggle with a sin like that? Brethren, I want to exhort you also to avoid that kind of cynicism. Remember, Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. Forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Okay. When we look at our brothers and sisters, my exhortation to you is look at them charitably. Don't look at them with a critical eye saying, I don't know if you're really elect. I don't know if your faith is measuring up. Rather resolve not to put a stumbling block and rather resolve I'm going to come beside you and I'm going to build up your faith and I'm going to drive you back to what your baptism is about. Trust in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, love the Lord your God with all your heart because he loves you. Love Jesus who has washed you with his blood, who has circumcised your heart by the Spirit. And let his signs and seals of his covenant always drive you back to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word of grace. Father, I pray for myself, I pray for my brethren here, would you help us that the signs of the covenant that we have been, uh, with the baptism, Father, the circumcision of our hearts, may these be things, Lord, these visible signs like baptism would always drive us back to the substance and to the washing of the Spirit. Drive us back to you and true faith and obedience of faith. Father, may they be reminders to us that you are our God and we are your people, chosen of the Lord, and of all that that means in terms of blessing as well as all that that asks of us in terms of the obedience of faith and trust in you, to follow you. Father, You are our God and we are your people. We've been bought with a price. You are our God by covenant and you have chosen us and brought us into your covenant. Oh God, give us the faith. Increase our faith that we may always walk faithfully to you knowing that you have promised you will be even more faithful to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.